0: up everybody welcome back to the seven figure flipping podcast this is Bill Allen today we are one week away from flip hacking live so in just one week we'll be down in Orlando all hanging out together uh, a couple hundred of your closest real estate investor friends and I cannot wait I am so pumped up for this so uh, if you have your ticket I'm excited for you if you don't what are you waiting for go to fliphackinglive.com. there's still time grab your ticket grab your plane ticket Uh, come on down and hang out with us in orlando october 14th 15th and 16th so just one week from today depending on when you're listening to this but it's exciting and what i want to do today is i want to put out uh, one of my favorite presentations from a previous footpacking live in uh a couple years ago i think it was probably 2018 that mike simmons did this presentation on dispositions and i still remember it Um, we use a lot of these same strategies in our business right now and it's what added another million dollars of gross profit to our business right after that presentation. So I'm thankful for you, Mike, uh, for putting this out there. And, um, and I think this is a great one to get ready because um, we have a a very, very, very successful real estate investor up in Canada, who's going to be giving a presentation on dispositions at footpacking Live this year. And I'm telling you, this presentation combined with his will help you make millions more per year in your business. So it's It's incredible. And so, if you're kind of on the fence or wondering, or if you have your ticket to Flip Hacking Live and you're getting excited about it, this is what you can expect stuff like this that we talk about in 20 presentations over three days, just like this. Can you imagine what that's like? So, if you don't have your ticket, go to fliphackinglive.com and you don't want to miss it. So, if you missed it, then we'll do it again in 2022. All right. uh, I'm going to kick it off, let uh, Mike Simmons go and uh, run this presentation back so you guys can listen to this and get prepared for a uh, flip back in live in just a week. I'll see you guys there. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called seven figure flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are seven figure flipping, and this podcast is our playbook.
1: Thanks. Sam. Go get him, man. Thanks. All right. My jacket said it's good to be back. <laughs> Some of us vertically challenged people have to stick together, and there's a lot of coats that would not have fit him. Mine did, so <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, before we go any further, I just want to say that you guys being here, and, and participating in this and sitting here and taking notes and networking like you're so far beyond everybody else in your market and frankly I'm not gonna put up a fake stat a f- fake stat on the screen like Gino did but you guys are so far so much farther ahead than than everybody that you probably know who do this it's it's crazy. Like you really should feel good about that. and and really understand that what you're doing today and this time that you're spending is not wasted. This is the place to be. I said it on social media a few times. This, if you're not here, I question how serious you are about your business. I really do, okay? So with that, let's get into it. Okay, so I wanna do three things in my my time up here. I wanna talk a little bit about mindset. I wanna talk a lot about strategy. And then I want to give you some tools that we use in our business, okay? So I don't, want to, I don't want to just talk mindset, even though that's great. I want to tell you exactly how we do and what we do and the tools that we use to get there so that you're hopefully going to get as much out of this as you possibly can. Before we get started, I want to check one thing. I'm going to use a term up here a lot called dispositions. We have somebody in our company who's our dispositions manager. Is there anybody who doesn't know what a disposition manager would do? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, enough. That's good. So Mike and I are wholesalers, right? We, we do a lot of marketing, like a lot of the folks that have been up here. We get contracts from homeowners, and then we resell those contracts to house flippers and landlords primarily. The person who's in charge of taking a contract and then selling that contract or assigning that contract to an end buyer that's dispositions, okay? It's important that you understand that terminology because that's what I'm talking about tonight. The disposition side of the business, in my opinion, is often under, underserved, it's under thought about, right? We talk about front end sales, how do you talk to a homeowner, what do you say to them? Like how do, you, how do you get the contract, how do you overcome objections, right? All of that stuff happens on the back end for wholesalers too, right? When we're talking to the buyer, we, we're sale, it's a sales position. But we talk about front-end sales a lot, not a lot about back-end sales. In business early on before we hired, I was the dispositions manager. So I'm passionate about that side of the business. And I truly believe if you pay attention, take notes, and take my advice, you will dramatically increase your revenue. Because what you gain on the front-end through great salesmanship can be lost on the back-end, and I don't want that to happen to you. They say you make money when you buy. I say you also make money when you sell. Okay? Everyone talks about, oh, you make all the money when you buy, and it's true. That is where you get a lot of the profits come from, on the front end, but you can screw it up on the back end, so be careful of that. It all starts with having a target, okay? How do we make more money in our market as wholesalers than anybody else, hands down? It's because we expect to. We have targets. We tell our people this is the profit margin we expect on every deal. So they have something to shoot for. It becomes their reality. We don't think about making two or $3,000 on a, on a transaction. That isn't, that isn't what we want, right? We wanna make 12,000, 13,000. They're shooting for 15,000 this year. That's the metric they're using when they evaluate a property. It's okay to get more than your target, okay? Targets are great, but we tell our, we tell our folks We wanna make 15,000 on our transactions, but if you see that this house, you have the opportunity, ethically, morally, to make more, let's make more. You're gonna hit more singles than home runs, but you will hit home runs, okay? It will happen, right? We talked about that a little bit earlier. Somebody on stage talked about that. A lot of singles and some home runs. How much should a wholesaler make? Anybody have any idea what a wholesaler fee Assignment fee should be? Yell it out. All of it. Okay, I'll tell you a little story. In our market, there's an individual who shall remain nameless. He's not here, but who knows, he might see this. Uh, He emphatically got into an argument with me a couple years ago and said, if a wholesaler makes more than $5,000 on a deal, they're a thief. They don't don't deserve, they don't do enough to make more than $5,000. And anything more than that is absolutely unethical. And I said, really, what do you do? I'm a house flipper. What's your, what's your maximum allowable profit? What, what do you, where do you stop? Yeah, I get as much as I can get. <laughs> okay, obviously, I'm done talking to you. <laughs> Avoid the good enough mindset. I've got a story for this too. It's a little bit embarrassing for me because it wasn't one of my finer moments as a motivator and a leader. But I had our dispositions guy in our company come to me. This was about eight months ago. And he said, here's the deal. We have this property. We expected to make $12,000 profit. We kind of made some mistakes internally. We're going to make $7,000. That's good enough. And I said to him, no, it's not, because you told me we were going to make twelve. dollars Go make twelve. dollars Figure it out. You can do it well, I just don't see how we're going to do that, but seven's pretty good. I said, seven is pretty good. If you would have told me seven, I might have accepted that initially, but you told me 12. So I'm going to give you an hour, and then I want you to figure out and tell me how you're going to get to 12. He got there. He got there. He got to 12. He was scared, but he got to 12. And the difference is, I didn't let him think about less than 12. I said, this is your mandate. You need to get that 12 that you talked about. And when you, it's sort of like, if you give someone parameters, if you tell them what you need to have done and when you need it done, that's the parameters they work within. I didn't accept less and we made what we were supposed to make, okay? So it's, a lot of it is about mindset. Don't get into the good enough mindset. So can anybody here tell me what the notor- most notorious deal killer there is? In your business, what'll kill a deal more often than anything? Any ideas? Time. Brilliant, time. Time kills deals. When deals sit around and you're not working on them, you're not getting sellers and buyers to the closing table, bad things happen, always. They always do, right? In our business, everybody hears this phrase from me all the time. Time kills deals. We just recently set a record in our company. We got a property under contract on a Monday, and we had a buyer and a closing and funds in our account by Friday. That's the kind of speed we're talking about. We've hired people in the past and said, I'm going to warn you, we move fast. We expect there to be a lot of urgency in everything you do. And we've had people, we've told them that emphatically. We get them in our business, and what do they say? I can't believe how fast you guys move. I wasn't prepared for this. I said, we told you. These are metrics that we hold our, our dispositions person to. We track from the purchase agreement until we market a deal, how many days can go by no more than two. From marketing the deal to getting a buyer, submit a deposit for that deal, no more than 10. Purchase agreement to close, 30 days or less. Buyer deposit, okay, once we find a buyer and they give us a non-refundable deposit, how long until we close that deal and have money in the bank? No more than 10 days. PA expiration date to close, right? We want that to be big because if our purchase agreement ends on the 30th, we need to close before the 30th. And the, the sooner, the faster we close that, the better. Target value is 12500 That's a minimum. Like I said, our salespeople are using 15000 for their calculations just to be conservative. Selling to a buyer is different than dealing with sellers. It's just a different process. I always tell people when you're dealing with a seller and you're in the home, there's a lot of understanding their, their, what their pain point is, right? Creating that real deep rapport, listening a lot, and really trying to create that connection. That happens on the back end a little bit with buyers. Buyers are a little bit more black and white. The minute you start talking to a buyer, usually you're in a negotiation. When you pick up phone and say hello, and they say, one, two, three Elm Street, how much do you want for it? How many bedrooms? Tell me more about it, right? They're, they're negotiating right off the bat, right? It's not, you're not warming them up to the idea of buying the house. They already know they want it. They just want details. Buyer relationships should never create first-look opportunities. Preferential pricing, a go-to buyer's list or a VIP list, whatever you want to call it. VIP list, uh, preferred buyer's lists, those benefit the buyer. They don't benefit you as the wholesaler. They do not benefit you. Okay? People do it because it's easy, and they're being lazy. Tough love, right? You're being lazy if you have those things, in my opinion. They don't serve you as the business owner, as the wholesaler. They serve your buyers. That's why buyers always ask for them. We get it all the time. How do I become a preferred buyer? Our dispositions guy always says, buy a lot of houses. It's not going to get you on a separate list, but we'll for sure pick up the phone when you call every single time, right? We're going to pay attention to you a little bit, but you're not going to get on a different list, nor should they. You may outgrow your buyers list, or your buyers that you're currently speaking to and selling properties to, and that's cool, that's okay. Okay, The first two wholesale deals I did about three and a half, four years ago, I sold to the same buyer. Called him up, I've got this deal, I know you're looking for stuff, Will you? do you want it? He said, give me 10 minutes and I'll call you back. He called me back in 10 minutes and I'll take it. I said, wow, that was great. I was a house flipper previously, so I like that. Next deal I got called the same guy, the same numbers, and I said, do you want this one? And he didn't even take 10 minutes. He said, I'll take it. I got it. I want it. All right? I haven't sold to that person in over two years. Why? Because I build a buyer's list with Mike and I. We build a buyer's list that kind of priced him right out of the game. He can't afford to buy houses from us because the buyers that we're selling to now are paying a lot more. So building your buyer's list is key. That's a tease. I'm going to talk about that later. Strategy now. How do we do it? That's me. (laughs) Looking at our giant whiteboard. You have to understand your buyers and what they're looking for and how they think. You have to think like they do, right? If you're going to sell to somebody, you have to know how they look at things. What is it that's important to them? Our Our competitive advantage and yours too Sorry, this is a big one. You can take a picture. I'm not going to stand it long. We learned how flippers and house, uh, house flippers and landlords think. How do they evaluate properties? Are they using the 70% rule? Um, do you understand basic renovation costs? Right? <clears throat> if you don't understand those costs, you need to hang out with contractors and learn how, how to price things out or how they price things out. Okay? Um, landlords aren't always looking for equity. right? We sell a lot of properties that don't have a lot of equity at all, if any. Landlords are buying them. They want cash flow. The cash flow is king to them. Don't talk to them about equity. It's, it's icing on the cake for them. It's not what they're looking for. So you should understand that. Don't let your opinions get in the way of what a good deal is. Great story, we sold a house about six months ago. It was in a good neighborhood, actually a pretty hot neighborhood. And we considered buying it ourselves, maybe flipping it, You know, maybe maximizing that, that potential. So I ran the numbers as a house flipper and looked at it, what we could pay for the house. And I told our dispositions guy, Connor, I said, Connor, just send it out to our buyers list, but build in the profit we think we could make if we flipped it. So we did. And I said, we're probably not going to get it, right? Be ready to reduce it because probably no one's going to pay that. So we put it out there and got a full price offer like that. And I said, don't accept it. Wait, okay, wait. Later that day, he calls me and says, we've got 10 people who have made at or above asking price offers. And I said, don't accept them. Wait, okay? Four days later, we had significantly over, I mean, 50,000 over, it was crazy. And I I know there's no way they could make money at it. You know, a lot of times, you don't know people's numbers. Sometimes they're contractors, so their numbers are going to be a lot lower because they can do the work. Or maybe they're using their own money, so they don't have to to worry about the cost of money from somebody else. So when we got to the closing table, I said, I want to be there for this closing. And after it was over, I said to the guy, you know, thanks for buying it, congratulations on the house. But i got to ask you a question. I flip houses, and I know what it costs to do that. And I understand the market, and I know the numbers for this house. I know what the ARV is. How are you making money on this house? You paid too much. And he said, I'm not. I'm not going to make money. But I do a high-volume, I have a high-volume business, and I have a crew that I've got to keep busy. If I don't, they're going to go elsewhere. I'm going to lose them. I need to keep them busy. I'm going to put them on this project. I'm probably going to break even, but it will be a nice bridge to get to the next one. So right then and there I said, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna get out of the second-guessing people business. I'm not gonna worry about their business. They have their own business. They know what they need. I'm not gonna second-guess, right? Because you just don't know how people run their business or what they need in their business. In our company, pre-work is huge. We make the sales folks do pre-work. I make the dispositions people do pre-work themselves, independent of what they saw that the salesperson did. Connor, our dispositions guy, he does pre-work, on every contract that comes in before he puts it out to the market. I want him to understand those numbers and I don't want him to rely on anybody else because if he disagrees with our salesperson, we need to have a conversation before we send that out. Right? We need to know why the sales guy and, and Connor were different. Where, where are the differences coming from? So this is literally my computer screen. No, I'm just kidding. This is a graphic of a computer, um, but this is what it looks like for him doing his pre-work. I know you probably can't read that, so we're gonna zoom into each one. Okay, so this one, I want him for first step, four-step process, he needs to know what the ARV is. In our company, we use a term called CCV, we coined it. It means common condition value, as is, you could call it, but it's different than as is, because for calculation purposes, we don't know what as is is. We don't know what it's gonna look like when we get in there, right? So we assume it's gonna look dated, but functional. You know, grandma's house. Nothing's been updated in decades, but it all works, right? We assume it'll be at that level. Next thing we look at is renovations. He just does it from the pictures. He doesn't, he's not been there at this point, but we're just doing like a desktop uh, renovation estimate. And then the projected sales price on that particular house. We're in Michigan, so that's not a typo. It's $65,000. And then this is what we call the marketing life cycle. We came up with this internally. I want to know, before we market anything, what he expects the to look like, okay? I want to know when he's going to send it out, and you can see we send it out at 7 a.m., 9.25 at a certain price. We email, voice, ringless voicemail, and text. Not everyone looks at emails. Most people will look at a text, or if they missed a call, they'll, they'll listen to the voicemail. Then I wanna know the next day he's gonna send it out, same price, just at a different time of day. Some people open mail better in the afternoon or more more likely to open it than they are in the morning. So we send it out in the afternoon. Then we have some reductions. You can see eventually we put it on the MLS. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute too. Then we have a reduction. At some point, we schedule a time to sit down and talk about that house. If we haven't sold it yet, are we gonna buy it? Does that make sense for us? Or what's the next step, right? So once we reduce it down to as far as we really wanna go, we talk about purchasing it internally. Okay, another little pro tip. When you're taking, when you're taking calls and emails from uh, potential buyers, you're keeping track of the offers, right? Everybody does, that's normal. We keep track of interested pi- buyers, right? So if someone calls us and says, for this house, I'll give you $64,000, great, we make note of it. Someone calls up and says, I love this house, what are you asking, 65, okay yeah, I'm not really sure, I'll get back to you, and we don't hear from them again. Most people just ignore that. We keep track of it, because when and if the buyers who had the funds and they knew what they wanted to pay and they made an offer, if that all falls through, we have backup people to call. Hey, you called us, you were interested in the house, you didn't make an offer, I just wonder what's going on. Are you still interested? It's still available if you're still interested, right? And that can regenerate some interest in people that just didn't pull the trigger the first time. Okay, marketing your deals. I probably shouldn't put up the pictures of actual buyers, but I did because I want to show you the reaction that we want from people when we send out our marketing, right? We want to make sure that we're conveying a sense of urgency and scarcity, that we're getting them excited about our deals, right? It's sales. It's, guys, it's a sales. So when you talk to them, it's not like, oh, I got another property. I don't know if you like it or not. I mean, there's a problem. That there's a little leak in the basement. It's probably going to cost a lot of money. Like, that's not how you do it, right? You go, hey, I've got this deal. I think you're going to love it. It's right around the corner from a house you bought from us six months ago, right? I think you're gonna like it, you should check it out. Okay, again, kind of a, kind of a big one here, you can take pictures, I'm not gonna stand it very long. Um, but we use a compelling title in our emails, right? Something that gets their attention. Clickable address, we use or best offer language because we want people to make offers. Sometimes that means they make higher offers than what we're asking because it's something they really want. Sometimes they're gonna make a lower offer, but I always wanna see all the offers. Even the insultingly low ones, I wanna know what they are. We always ask for a soft offer before we take someone to a showing. We do that because we don't wanna waste time. And if you skip down to the bottom, we don't put ARV estimates or renovation estimates in our email to our buyers. That's unusual, most people do. I'll tell you why we don't. When we put ARV on there and we put the renovation budget, we get one of two calls. One call says, I saw your ARV, you don't know what you're doing, that's too low, that neighborhood's much better than that, your ARV's too low, you're an idiot. The other call is, your ARV is ridiculous, you'll never get that much, that's too high, you're an idiot, right? So you only have to be called an idiot a few times before you go, you know what, I'm not going to put it on there. Because the truth of the matter is, the people who buy from us and probably who buy from you, they're running their own numbers. Your number is fun and fine for them, but they don't care. They're going to run their own numbers anyways. They're not using it, right? New investors want to see that, but we're not putting it on our email because I just, we don't need to take those calls. People will literally call just to tell you you don't know what you're doing. Same thing with renovations. I know, I know what it costs to flip a house. I know renovations. One of my superpowers is I'm really good at, at, at estimating renovation. I'm very close when I do it. But I get called a moron enough. I just stop putting it on there and go, you figure it out then. Okay, so real quick, this is what our email looks like from top to bottom. It doesn't have the subject, but it's compelling, trust me. So this is a property that we sold or we're selling right now, actually. Um, That's the top of it, a clickable address or best offer, just like I said. Here's the meat. Not much, right? Basic information. Look at the additional information down there. What does that say? Walking distance from downtown Clawson, needs interior rehab, awesome rental market. Boom, that's it. What about the windows? What about the roof? What about the hot water here? Go see it. We got pictures, make us a reasonable offer and we'll take you to see it. And then here we're just, uh, they can see other properties that we have for sale. They can download a PDF with a lot of questions that we get over the years, right? We get common questions. We have a PDF that kind of walks them through the whole process. So when they go, so how does this all work? I go, did you get my email? Yeah. All right, scroll to the bottom and there's a little link and click on it. It'll tell you exactly how this works and what we expect of you and what we'll do from our end and what your obligations are. Okay, tips for optimizing your disposition process. Number one, don't work with problem buyers. It's okay to tell a buyer, please don't call me anymore, I'm not gonna work with you. You're taking up too much of my time, you're belligerent, you're mean to my people, you don't ever perform, like let's just, let's just end this relationship now, so no jerks. <clears throat> don't show the property if a buyer has no idea what they might pay, right? We send our email out, we get a call, I want to see the property. Awesome. Did you get my email? Yes. Did you look at the pictures and the video if it was available? Yes, I did. Great. What do you think your offer might be if you were to go see it, assuming the pictures and the video are comprehensive and you can see everything? Any idea what you might want to offer for that house? I have no idea. How can you have no idea? You saw the pictures and the video. You know the neighborhood. I'm assuming you did your homework. How can you have no idea? I don't know. I've never done a a flip before. I just want to go see it. (laughs) It doesn't work. We don't do it. Right? You don't go see a property with us unless you give us some idea of what you might pay. Now, that might seem harsh. Maybe you think I'm missing out on opportunities. Trust me when I tell you I'm not. It's always a waste of time when you go out there with someone who wants to just go on a field trip because they went to the RIA and they got very excited and they wanna go see a bunch of properties and they have no intention of buying, right? We don't do that. Now, we ask them to send us an email with what they think they might offer if the house looks as it did in the pictures and the video. It doesn't, it's not binding, it's not, it doesn't obligate them, but it's a hurdle, like we talked about in the hiring process, it's a hurdle. So you're not sending your dispositions guy out on every single appointment of everybody who picks up the phone and wants to see it. We're not at their beck and call, right? We're going out there for serious buyers only. Always be present when you're showing an occupied property and do group showings when you can, right? Group showings, just the same reason why you do group interviews, right? That they talked about earlier, Stephen and Travis. Uh, because it creates a little bit of competition. You can get into bidding wars on those properties because they see there's other buyers that are interested in that property, right? So you create that sense of urgency. You know, they see other people there. They know for a fact you're not lying when you say other people are interested. It does that for you, right? It doesn't always work. You can't always do it. But if there's somebody in that house, whether it's a homeowner or a tenant, especially if it's a tenant, you go there because buyers have a tendency to say really dumb things to sellers when they're Unsupervised, so we don't want it to be unsupervised. And once your buyer makes an offer, we always ask, is that the best you can do? Right? Sounds familiar. On the front end, when you're talking to sellers and you ask them how much they want for their house, and they tell you, you say, is that the best you can do? Is that the lowest you'll take? Right? That kind of language. We use it on the back end, too, all the time. It's just a question. But we make money from that question. When they say what they're, gonna, what they're willing to pay, just, is that the best you can do? well, I could probably go another 5000 lower, I guess. Great, we just made $5,000 on a question. Get permission from the seller. to Put a lockbox on the property whenever possible. Goes without saying. It's a little easier to show. It's faster. It doesn't take as much time. Always be ethical in everything you do. Guys, I put this on its own slide for a reason. Sometimes investors get so caught up in making money and getting the best price for everything and just like, you know, money, money, money. Sometimes people can forget ethics and you shouldn't. There's no deal, there's no amount of money, there's nothing worth selling your, yourself out for, okay? Be ethical, do what you say you're gonna do. There have been deals where our salespeople or dispositions manager sort of committed us to something they shouldn't have, right? They said something kind of dumb and, and, they, and the, the seller or the buyer took it to heart and they came back and said, whoa, 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 that's not what I was told. Well, what were you told? I was told you pay my closing costs, or you would, whatever you're gonna you're gonna pay for us to move. Oh, okay. So I talked to the seller or the disposition. Did you say that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I got kind of carried away. <laughs> Guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna do whatever you said we're gonna do. But we're gonna have a conversation about it internally. But we're gonna do it, right? So be ethical, guys. I can't emphasize enough. We all want to make a lot of money. We're all trying to grow our business. We're all trying to get to a different place. Nothing you do is more important than, than maintaining your ethics and your integrity. Methods we use to distribute our deals to buyers. This is an all, all-inclusive, there's other ways, but this is what we do. Email marketing, Craigslist, social media, auction sites, ringless voicemail, key, text blast, very important, and other websites, Bigger Pockets, things like that, people, where people post deals, post them. Just have a process, right? It should just be a no-brainer. Every time you do it, your disposition person goes, to, or you, if you're that person, you just go down the list. Put them out there. Single biggest deal distributor in the world, the MLS. We're wholesalers. We don't buy properties for the most part, okay? We get them under contract and we assign that contract. So you're asking yourself, how do you put on the MLS if you don't own it? Right here. Agent has equitable interest in the property. Seller is making, is marketing their interest And we'll either be double closing or selling their assignable contract to purchase the property, period. That's it. We went to our board of realtors in Michigan. We talked to them and said, this is what we want to do. How can we do that and stay in bounds? They said, if you put that in the realtors' comments, not the public comments, the realtors' comments, we're okay with it, okay? If you're not doing this in your market, you should be. If you think you can't, Find out, okay? Get permission to do it. I'm not saying go rogue and not ask. Ask. Do it, you know, ask for permission, not forgiveness in this case. Um, Talk to your board of realtors, but you will get more money for your deals. Guys, our profit margins exploded when we did this. Exploded. We always give our buyers first opportunity to buy houses, but we're marketing these things at, like the wish list level, that's how we do it, right? We, we put it out there to our buyers at what, exactly what we want, right? If they don't make a reasonable offer or full price offer or more within four days, you saw it on that last graphic a few slides ago, it's going on the MLS, it's gonna be open to everybody. So it does two things, going on the MLS opens up, obviously you're, you're look, more buyers are looking at it, which is good, but it also creates a sense of urgency for your buyers, they, we've trained our buyers, they know. They see a new property, tick-tock, it's gonna go on the MLS if you don't come to us fast. Don't wait around. We don't play. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't, it's, there's lights here, it's hard to see everybody. What do you tell the sellers They might see their house back It's a good question, actually. So, <clears throat> yeah. Am I, can you hear me? I hear oh, oh, I'm sorry. She said, what do you tell sellers when they may see it? You know, on the Chances are they're not gonna see it on the MLS. They'll see it Zillow, or things that the MLS feeds, right? So this is a good example of stuff that the seven-figure flipping, six-figure, like they all, they've all heard this. We, we've been talking about it for a while, so it's, it's good inside information, but it's a good question. So we tell the sellers, listen, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, we're gonna, we're gonna buy your house, or we're gonna, we got it under contract, You know we're a business, we're here to make money. We deal with investors, that's how we buy houses. We don't buy them all ourselves, right? Part of our business model is to market houses that we have under contract to get a sense of what our buyers are willing to pay. If it's okay with you, you may see it on the MLS because that's how we market for buyers. That's how we market for investors. We don't call them buyers, investors. That's how we market for investors, right? That's how we attract investors so we can grow our business. Normally, it's going to cost you money to put it on the MLS. A realtor is going to charge you 3%. We're not going to charge you anything. We're going to do it for free. But you may see it on Zillow for a higher price. It's just us testing the market. But we're not going to charge you for it. It's completely free of charge. Are you okay with that? Okay. It's how you frame it, right? It's expectations. People don't get mad when they see it on the MLS. We've already told them it's going to be there. It's in our contract that we can list it on the MLS. And it's free of charge to them, because it is. That's it? Did that answer your question? Okay. This is sarcasm, but you will thank me if you do it, trust me. Okay. Make sure your team is working together. One cool thing that Mike Cowper and I did when we were a fledgling company just starting out, as you heard before and you'll see and if you talk to him at all this weekend, he's a killer salesperson. He's the best, right? When we started wholesaling he was out there getting contracts I was doing disposition we would constantly talk and I would say hey we got this property i'm trying to I'm trying to sell it on the back end I'm not quite hitting the mark with what we're trying to make is there any opportunity at all that you could get a reduction on the front end what was the seller's you know situation was there money there did you tell him we might have to come back at some point if we can't if we can't do it at this price, it's like, oh yeah, th- there's room. I-, I set him up for that. I-, I-, I told him we may have to come back if we can't make it work at this price, great. If you can get it reduced by three or 4,000, I think I can get our buyer up by another two or three or 4,000. So let's do that, right? So we would constantly collaborate and talk about, we have this property that we could probably make three or 4,000, but you know, our-, our mark is 12,000. So how do we get up there, right? We do not allow ourselves to settle for just whatever is easy, right? He would work the front-end sales side of it, I would work the back-end sales side of it, I'm talking to buyers, he's talking to sellers, and we would create that that spread, that margin that we need to have. So your guys should be doing that, too. If you have a team, or if it's just you and, and one other person, you should be collaborating. It's not throwing a contract over the wall and just saying, good luck, dispositions, you better get a lot for it, you know, you have to work together, okay. Another long slide. I know it's kind of a faux pas in doing a, a presentation, but I just I need to get all this stuff out there. Okay, so ideas for building your buyers list. I told you how important it is, right? Here's some great things you can do and some things that we do. Networking, it's always great, right? Go, go to the RIAs, shake hands, learn who the buyers are in your market and get them on your list. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, social media, right? Get, get your stuff out there. Start talking about what you do. You'll attract buyers. Realtors are a good source. Uh, pulling a list uh, of buyers from sources like ListSource, like finding out who are the people that are, that are paying cash for houses in my market. Send them a letter or call them. That's something I just learned this weekend. So there's people call, cold calling buyers, right? Cold call them. Property management companies, they have tons of clients who are looking for rentals. The property management companies trying to grow their portfolio. It's a good marriage, right? Real estate websites like BiggerPockets, another great one. Skip trace wholesalers' deals in your market. This was a new little gold bomb that was dropped this week by a seven-figure member. Get on all the lists of all the wholesalers in your market. Make a list, database of the deals that they're offering. 45, 60 days later, skip trace them. Look it up, see who bought it. Get them on your list. Those guys are buying properties right now from your competitors. They should be buying them from you too. Okay, tools that we use in our business. List source. This is how we are pulling targeted property lists or, or sellers, potential sellers. That's something you should be doing if you're not doing it. It's for direct mail, obviously. Call Fire is... Uh, uh, Call Fire uh, is actually... That's a, it's a typo, actually. Call Fire we use for text blast, and Sly Broadcast is ringless voicemail. DocuSign, we use it to sign contracts all the time so that we don't have to send the seller back out if we have a... or the. Uh, acquisitions person out. If we have a seller who's kind of on the fence and we can't get it done, we can send a docu sign, have them sign it electronically. We don't have to drive all the way back for that necessarily. Call rail is a call management service. Uh, deal machine, we talked somebody talked about that earlier. It's a it's driving for dollars app, right? You take a picture of the house, you can skip trace it and send a card right from your car instantly. It's a great, great, great app. Simple Crew, we use this for bandit signs. If you want to talk more about that, it's a whole process that we have developed. Uh, to place bandit signs without you touching them. You don't have to worry about whether or not your signs went in a dumpster the minute you gave them to your sign person. Right? We have that figured out. If you want to talk about that more, I'll be at a table from 4 to 6. We can talk about that. Sign easy. It's just something that I use sometimes. Every once in a while, people send you a a PDF, and they'll say, I want you to sign this. It's not a DocuSign, so you have to print it out, sign it, scan it back in. This is just an app that lets you sign PDFs. Um, And then CRM. Uh, Danny's gonna talk about his new one, right? So you should be looking at that. Uh, others that people use, Podio, uh, yeah, there's a few others. I'm not gonna mention them because I don't love them all, so I don't wanna get into that. Some honorable mentions, Google Drive. We run our business off of Google Drive for the most part. Documents and things all get uploaded to Google Drive. It's where we share a lot of our training manuals and things like that. Uh, Google Voice or Sideline for a free business line. Guys, the phone calls are coming to your personal, your personal phone, Stop it, just stop it right you're not going to grow with everyone calling you on your personal phone, and nor should you want to get phone calls at ten o'clock at night, right? So get a line and these are very cheap and free ways of doing it. turboscan it 's an app for my phone. I use it to scan things in. it works great there's hundreds of them, but I'm just giving you an example and then I just bought a Microsoft Surface and I love it that's it. Just want to say that it's very cool. You should get one so Guys, the idea here is, and the reason I wanted to talk about this, there's a few subjects in our business that when it comes up, I get very passionate about it. Maybe even defensive, some might say, because there's a lot of time and energy and money spent talking about sales on the front end, right? Going into sellers' homes and creating rapport, as well we should. It's very important that we're good at that, or the person in our company who does that is good at that, right? But I think what happens, unfortunately, is we spend so much time worrying about that, we get a little lazy on the back end. We get a handful of buyers, one or two buyers that say, oh, I'll buy whatever you have. And we send it out to them, and they'll go, yeah, I'll give you, you, know, I'll give you this for it, right? And you go, cool, it's sold. Move on to the next one, right? But your acquisitions team or your person or if it's you, you're working hard to get that property at the lowest possible price. Why on the back end would you be lazy or complacent or just kind of like, kind of phone it in, right? Just send it out to your buyer's list and eh, the first person calls, take it, it's done, right? Because you see that money, you're so close to it, it's easy to get a little lazy. But you need to treat the back end sales part, the dispositions of your company, as seriously as the front end. Because when we were a small company and Copper went out there and got a killer deal, and then... I couldn't sell it for nearly what we expected to sell it for. I'm hurting us. I'm the one costing us money, right? So you do make money when you buy, you do, it's it's fact. But guys, you make money when you sell, okay? So don't forget about that back end sales part of it. Um, I'll be at a table from four to six. If you guys have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them for you. That's it, that's all I got.